0: Hey there, I'm James Ross and welcome to another episode of Cutaneous to Clinician, a podcast about all things skin. From surgery to sores and from breakouts to beauty, we deep dive through the layers of the profession and explore all natures of the industry. I'm joined by our ever-astonishing co-hosts, Emily Canning, Steph Gascoyne and Tamika Taylor, all hailing from Melbourne, Australia. These incredible students have a vast array of knowledge and know-how and bring light to all things the truth. Speaking of, on today's episode, we'll be unraveling and analyzing the best skin management practices for those pre- and post-facial plastic surgery. As a reminder for this episode, you should always seek medical advice before undergoing any medical procedure or treatment, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Emily, Stefan, Tamika, how are we all? And thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, how are you?
0: Awesome. Now we've only got a short amount of time on today's subject, so let's dive straight into it. Individually, we devised a search strategy to investigate what are the best skin management options for those undergoing the knife facial plastic surgery. I'll pass it on to Tamika.
2: The searches were conducted through databases such as Medline, Sinals, Scopus and Victoria University's library. The inclusion criteria consisted of keywords such as post-facial surgery, cosmetic surgery, facial surgery and only peer-reviewed articles between 2001 and 2021 were included. Cosmetic surgery is a branch of plastic surgery with individuals generally desiring these procedures to improve their physical appearance and features. Psychological aspect of improving one's self-esteem is a major motivator for people to pursue cosmetic procedures. Even with the popularisation of non-invasive procedures, cosmetic surgery within Australia is still extremely popular with 102,404 procedures being performed in 2018. 34,893 of these procedures were performed on the face and head. Complications such as scarring are a common occurrence after facial cosmetic surgery and preventing a scar is priority in managing post-operative wounds as a resulting scar can impede normal function of the skin and create an aesthetic problem for patients.
1: After undergoing cosmetic facial surgery, the last thing a patient would want is to pay more to then treat the remaining scar.
3: Yes, exactly. The desired scar post-surgery is one that goes unnoticed. This is why implementing management after re epithelialization is imperative. Inadequately treating these scars may encourage the development of hypertrophic or keloid scars, which are problematic to treat once developed. A gold standard, non-invasive treatment to prevent pathologic scars is the use of silicon gel. The way silicon gel's therapeutic effects work is through its hydrating and occlusive ability. When an epithelialized wound is dehydrated, it signals the keratinocytes in the epidermis to reduce cytokines, which are chemical mediators. This then in turn stimulates a fibroblast to produce an excessive amount of collagen resulting in these hypertrophic scars. By silicon gel's occlusive impact on these immature scars, these over-proliferative effects are seized. By silicon's ability to retain water within the epidermis, it decreases transepidermal water loss, which in turn causes the keratinocytes to normalize, which then signals a the dermal fibroblast to downregulate extracellular matrix production, reducing over-proliferated scars. I conducted a search strategy, which focused on silicon gel's efficiency with scars on post-facial surgery patients. The literature I found consisted of two systematic reviews, four randomized control trials, two case reports and two case series. It was consistent throughout the articles that silicon gel worked efficiently to promote wound closure reduce erythema and hyperpigmentation. Although the limitations of the collected studies related specifically to sample sizes, short experimental time frame, and compliance amongst participants. Overall, it was consistent throughout the literature that silicon gel can significantly assist with reducing scar appearances through its mechanism of action. It is recommended that silicon gel should be applied every day once the wound has re for its therapeutic effects. Throughout the studies, silicon gel has been noted to be extremely convenient to use as well as being cost and time efficient compared with other modalities. It is already a common modality used within Australia's healthcare system already, especially amongst the Australian dermal and beauty industries. From this, there is definitely enough substantial evidence about silicon gel's efficiency. Did you guys find anything interesting?
0: Well, I guess my research was on the other side of the spectrum with something we've all come to love, but does it do what we think it does? And could it help with surgical styles? So my research was into the clinical effects of aloe vera and if it had beneficial properties post-facial plastic surgery. Uh, We predominantly see the use of aloe vera gel in soothing or assisting in skin injuries such as that of burns, abrasions, insect bites and somewhat in eczema. We as dermal clinicians use it for a variety of things such as post-laser and light-based treatments and even some of our products to reduce erythema. But I wanted to investigate if it could help speed up the wound healing process or even optimize the outcome of scars as a cheap and accessible alternative such as that of silicon gel, as Emily has previously talked about. A bit of a background on aloe. It's obviously been around for centuries and utilized by several cultures for its medicinal purposes. However, these claims didn't have much substantial data and more so just historical use. In recent years, it has been dissected and analyzed to show roughly 75 potential active constituents that may be assisting the healing cascade, ranging from vitamins, essential and non-essential amino acids, inorganic compounds, enzymes, saccharides, and components called arthroquinones, which give the aloe its supposed antiviral and antifungal properties. My research strategy resulted in 18 articles, to which was focused down to 11, five of which were randomized control trials, three systematic reviews, a clinical trial, and a review, as well as an experimental trial. A vast majority of these articles present positive results from their trials and experiments, and showed aloe vera possessed the ability to reduce symptoms such as erythema, pain, and the varying abilities of anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antifungal, and antipariotic properties. Moriyama et al. showed the migratory and proliferative capabilities aloe had on human primary epidermal keratinocytes. And another study by Hashemi et al. discovered the specifics of the mucilage, that viscous jelly-like substance in the aloe plant and its direct effect on fibroblast growth factors within the skin, which then stimulates proliferation of these cells and results in collagen deposition and adherence to one another, improving the overall speed and wound healing cascade. To reel it back a little, the themes I sought to identify were whether aloe vera-based products are effective in assisting and alleviating symptoms associated with acute wounds caused by facial surgery, and whether these products can be used long-term for optimal scar formation. Even with an overarching theme supporting the evidence found that aloe vera helps with acute wounds, there still wasn't a necessary consensus found of the direct correlation of how this occurs. Even with a variety of tests and observations made by measurable terms, these assessments were performed on small populations, application of products were inconsistent with one another between trials. Some stated the percentage of aloe within the topical treatment influenced the outcome. Also, the disparities between wound and scars within these trials gave mixed results on the effectiveness overall. As for long-time use of aloe vera, I barely found any evidence surrounding or even supporting this topic. I reckon and believe that there's little evidence surrounding this due to the empirical data backing the forms of other wound healing treatments, such as that of silicon or Vaseline, for example. In the end of my research, it appears still beneficial to use aloe vera on acute wounds, such as small cuts, abrasions, and even after our treatments in clinic, as well as some use on burn victims and split thickness skin graft sites. However, the application to that of post-facial surgery wounds seems outweighed by other means of treatment, but one that could be researched further involving larger population groups and inclusive of those with neck and face surgeries. And speaking of topical agents, I believe you looked into something we love and cherish, to Tamika.
2: Yes, so as we know, topical vitamin A is a favorite ingredient prescribed by dermal clinicians, praised for its multifunctional role in treating photo damage, improving skin texture, and reducing acne formation. So as well as being used as a cosmecytical agent for acne and aging, vitamin A is also commonly used as a priming agent to prepare the skin before chemical peels and other skin resurfacing procedures. So the goal of skin priming is to gauge patient compliance, accelerate healing and reduce adverse reactions such as scarring and post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. The effects of vitamin A on wound healing have been reported since the early 1900s when it was discovered that vitamin A deficiency can lead to delayed epithelialization and prolonged healing. Topical application has since been shown to enhance wound healing and epithelization by the stimulation of inflammatory mediators, regulated cellular turnover, and collagen synthesis. So taking this into consideration, I decided to do some further research to see if the use of topical vitamin A would be beneficial for clients undergoing cosmetic facial surgery as a means of enhancing wound healing.
1: So Tamika, what did you find?
2: Well, to be honest, Steph, it was what I didn't find that was most surprising. Given the prevalence of using topical vitamin A before cosmetic procedures and the evidence supporting its role in healing and enhancing skin health, I was surprised to find no recent or well-supported research articles relating to the use of topical vitamin A prior to cosmetic plastic surgery. In order to obtain information to answer my question, I had to broaden my search to include vitamin A and wound healing in general. So in regards to using topical vitamin A to enhance wound healing, a couple of different protocols have been investigated. So the first one involves pretreatment before wounding, which is basically what I was discussing earlier in regards to skin priming. The analyzed studies supported the use of topical vitamin A as a pretreatment priming agent for dermatologic procedures, while studies involving full thickness wounds saw most improvement in individuals predisposed to poor healing conditions, such as those with diabetes. So in a couple of studies performed on diabetic mice, pretreatment with topical vitamin A reduced healing times and initiated dermal thickening preventing enlargement of incisional wounds, which can be a common occurrence in diabetics due to their compromised extracellular matrix. The second method involves direct application to an existing wound. However, this protocol was not recommended. Direct application of topical vitamin A to an existing wound has the potential to increase healing time, inhibit re and increase chance of necrosis in full thickness skin grafts. So what's the
1: verdict on vitamin A?
2: Well, as I've just discussed, the evidence for the use of topical vitamin A prior to surgery and wounding is either lacking or outdated. And majority of these studies were performed on animal models. Despite this, the results from the combined research were moderately consistent. So it's fair to say that the use of topical vitamin A prior to cosmetic surgery may be beneficial to enhance wound healing. With one article not included in the analysis recommending that pretreatment with 0.1% tretinoin begin three months prior to surgical abrasion. However, given the popularity of using vitamin A as a priming agent for other cosmetic procedures, I think it'd be really great to see some updated evidence supporting its use in cosmetic surgeries as well. Patient satisfaction is a key indicator of a successful cosmetic surgery. And we wanna make sure that our client's skin is being taken care of prior to surgery in order to give the best outcome possible. So we've just spoken about some topical agents that may be used perioperatively for facial cosmetic surgery. Now I believe Steph's gonna talk about a light-based treatment option. So Steph, what did you find?
1: Yeah, so I looked into LED, which is the acronym for light emitting diode that provides a therapeutic effect on tissues via a process called photobiomodulation. The photons are released from the LED and are attracted and absorbed by cytochrome C oxidase, which is within the mitochondria of the cell that then leads to an increased production of adenosine triphosphate, also known as ATB. While that's happening, nitric oxide, which is known to inhibit cellular respiration, is essentially disabled, while reactive oxygen species production is increased due to the oxygen metabolization and leads to activating transcription factors. These chemical effects result in DNA and protein synthesis and in turn increases proliferation and migration of cells, regulation of cytokines and growth factors and oxygenation of tissues. The final step of this complex process is the result of wound healing and decrease in inflammation and pain. The two wavelengths I'll be focusing on will be red light LED ranging from 630 to 700 nanometers, which penetrates into the dermis and includes the entirety of the epidermis, as well as near-infrared ranging from 700 to 1,200 nanometers that penetrates past the dermis into the subcutaneous layer. Now that we know the basics of how LED works and a little bit about wavelengths, let's move on to what I found in my search. Just like Tamika, I also have to admit my search was a little disappointing in that there was a lack of evidence for post-cosmetic facial facial surgery and LED. So my focus became LED and general wound healing. I found three randomized control trials, two animal trials, a case series report, two literature reviews, one quasi-experimental study, and one systematic review, which was the highest level of evidence I was able to include. So overall, I would say that I had a very mixed bag of level of evidences to work with. When it came to analyzing the evidence within these papers, I wanted to see how effective LED was with wound healing and scar formation, as well as investigating the overall efficacy of LED. The overarching limitations of all the studies included, short follow-up periods, small sample sizes, risk of bias with evaluation techniques as some used to standardize photographs, and finally lack of applicability to the patient group with animal trials. However, with the evidence that I did find, LED application post-surgery is looking quite favorable. The papers collectively all found in wounds and immature scarring being irradiated with either red or near-infrared LED an improvement in erythema, edema, inflammation, scar pliability, bruising, pain and overall appearance of post-surgery scars. Most of the papers administered LED within two to seven days post-op and kept this treatment going for six months to a year with varying intervals between treatments. Furthermore, LED has been found to prevent tissue necrosis of surgical skin flaps as seen in one of the annual trials and reported a significantly lower percentage of necrosis in the ones that were irradiated with red LED. I thought this was particularly interesting as skin flaps are used quite regularly in cosmetic facial surgery. The main takeaway from that study, however, is the need for more human trials. So where to start with your post-cosmetic facial surgery patient, including LED into their care plan? My recommendation, based on the evidence that I found, be to administer LED daily or every second day for the months one and two and this can begin even as soon as 48 hours post procedure. After the first two months you can continue with LED three to four times a week up to six months post-op. Both red and near-infrared LED gave similar results so this may depend on accessibility of the clinic you work in.
0: Amazing, so to conclude our reviews on the multidimensional approach to wound healing and care, there are definite do's and definite don'ts. However, there is nothing like the ever evolving world of science and medicine and the approach we take discovering and analyzing the possibilities we can achieve with alternatives. For now, I'd like to thank my co-host Emily, Steph, and Tamika for their insightful knowledge and due diligence of exploring whether LED, retinoids, aloe vera or silicon therapy can assist in the optimization of pre and post-operative wounds for those undergoing cosmetic facial surgery. Thanks guys.
1: Thank you. Bye.
2: It was a pleasure. No worries at all. Today's been great. Hope you all enjoyed it.